You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name is Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Alison? Oh, I'm a little bit betwixt, bothered, and bewildered today. Why is that? To be honest with you. Oh, I don't know. I think I'm just sort of, I've got a lot of, you know, I'm editing, and I'm, I'm, I'm rewriting, and I think I've just got... Uh, just I uh, feel like I have an awful lot on my plate at the moment. I think it's scattering my thoughts a little, shall we say. So a nice calming chat with you is probably just what I need. Calming. Okay. Calming. Always calming with you, Val. I'm not sure whether my energy is going to be that calming today. And in fact, oh. I hope listeners will forgive me if my words aren't really quite pronounced as well as they should be because I just had root canal 15 minutes ago. Oh, and um, <laughs> that's not calming, Val. No, my entire right side of my face is numb and it's taking every ounce of energy I've got to formulate my words correctly. Right, so you'll be thinking slowly and my thoughts are all over the place. This is going to go really well. It's going to go well, but apart from being betwixt and bothered and in between, what have you been up to? Uh, I look I, honestly, Val. I am just doing what I always do, and that is, I'm just writing. I, I'm having one of those years this year where there really isn't much else for me to be doing, so that's what I'm doing. And I guess you know, it's a good thing in the sense that you got to do it, got to sit down, got to do the words. So de- a deadline is a very, very motivating thing. Yeah, head I've down, always found. Up. Ex- mm. That's exactly right. Exactly. Um, but what about you, apart from the root canal? Apart from root canal, um, let me think. I've been organising some interviews. I'm going to be interviewing the lovely Guy Pearce soon. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, it's actually for the Singapore Airlines in-flight magazine. Has he ever written anything? Can you get him on our podcast? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ask. We can talk to him about that. He's good. actually releasing an album. So he's written songs. <laughs> oh, well, maybe you can discuss that with him and we could do a video. Yeah, in, in person. Yes, that's yes, right. Perfect. So there's that. And I, I think that's um, – it's also an interesting point that when you're a writer, you can do so many different things. Like you can interview someone like Guy Pearce, but for the same magazine, um, if you were flying Singapore Airlines in August and reached into, you know, the, the back of the seat, seat pocket. Pocket in front I of think, you, yeah. you would have seen my article on swimming with a platypus. <laughs> Very similar to Guy Pearce, I would yes. think. Kind of cute, you know. <laughs> Which was really fun. Australian? Yeah. Was... Maybe I'm drawing a long bow there. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yes, it does. I guess feature writing does bring with it an extraordinary number of experiences all in one lifetime, doesn't it? Well, one experience that it brought both of us uh, for a few years, when back in the day when we were at Clio, and I mention this because um, Clio currently has their Man of the Year, their you know most eligible bachelors 
edition out. And ah, remember the days I when do we remember used to the do them. Days. I loved the days of the bachelors. It was actually always a lot sexier sounding than it really was. Oh, I yeah. just remember it. I mean, it was an enormous amount of fun. Don't get me wrong, but talk about a massive logistical exercise. Yeah. It was huge. Trying to organise, you know, bachelors in seven states to photo shoots, getting all their sizing, organising a stylist. And remember those questionnaires, having oh. to get the answers on the questionnaires and, you know, cut them down to three vaguely decent sounding <laughs> responses. Yes. Oh, massive exercise. But, yeah, lots and lots of fun. I used to really enjoy attending the event. That was a highlight of the year for all of us, I feel. And you, it does sound way more glamorous than it really is oh, because yeah. you think you're meeting 50 of Australia's most eligible bachelors, but you, you, it's so, you're so busy trying to coordinate 50 crazy people, not crazy, but, you know, 50 people to, to, to do this, to do that, to attend this, to turn to be up. Some, all to be somewhere on the same day. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Like trying to get more than three people to go anywhere on the same day is almost impossible. But, yeah, and, and this, of course, is, you know, back in the day. Yes. So we were all on phones. There was none of this let's email. Yeah. <laughs> organised without speaking to anyone. Yeah, to phone everyone. Oh, well, I yeah. notice now that it's no longer 50. It's now top 30. So maybe mm. are there fewer bachelors or was it just too much of a list, logistical nightmare? Well, maybe they're just trying to make it more exclusive. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I still have, I remember one the year that, or one of the years that, that I did it, um, the actual, it was very cute because it was Bonds sponsored it. Yes. And it was, I got my invitation printed on the front of a tiny little Bonds singlet. <laughs> Kid style, but actually, it was like a tiny, like triple, triple zero or something, which I still have somewhere stashed. In oh, my, wow. I don't know why I kept it, but it was such a cute little thing. And I thought, yeah, I should probably have put one of my boys in it back in the day, shouldn't I? They're oh, really cute. <laughs> I don't know if I've kept anything. Oh, no, I did. I did. I've kept um, at one of the bachelor events, everyone received a, God, this is obviously a really long time ago, a transistor radio. <laughs> Transistor radio, <laughs> but you know, in pink and purple and yellow, with Cleo written on it. And the, at the time, oh, you know, the the logo was a gerber or something. And I, oh, that's somewhere hanging around the garage. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> these days you get a USB stick and, a, and an iPad or something. Yeah, you probably would. Anyway, what else is happening in the world? I don't world know. I was of- hoping you might tell me what else is happening. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to bring to the attention of uh, uh, listeners the Wednesday Post. Um, in case you don't know, the Wednesday Post is an initiative by HarperCollins and it's I think it's a great initiative because it's where HarperCollins on Wednesdays <laughs> invites you to send unsolicited manuscripts if you're in Australia, New Zealand, but also around the world, I believe. And um, it's, it's something where, you know, you always get told of the slush pile you always get told you send stuff in and no one gets to read it and you know all that kind of thing but this is a really specific initiative for you to get your stuff in front of the publishers and editors and they'll look at it and if they are interested in seeing more they will contact you within four weeks so you're not in the slush pile kind of just wondering if you're either contacted within four weeks or you're not 
And they say they're currently looking for adult fiction, particularly commercial women's fiction and Mm -hmm. erotica, romance and young adult fiction. But also they're they're looking for non-fiction, including memoirs, biographies, narrative histories and illustrated non-fiction. So they're looking for quite a variety of different types of genres. And you need to send them on Wednesdays um, a synopsis of your work the first 50 uh, pages or the first three chapters of your manuscript and obviously some information about yourself. And, you know, I I encourage you when you write that information about yourself, like you write your cover letter, you are trying to sell yourself. Don't just say, please find and close a synopsis and 50 pages. Give them some indication as to why they should work with you and not the next person whose email that they open. Because exactly. that's the key to it. But it's an interesting thing and I think it's worth noting too that the bookseller ran a post this week, um, the bookseller website that is, saying that Harper Voyager, which is the speculative fiction uh, imprint of HarperCollins, uh, did a similar thing recently. Um, they had It was in actually 2012. They had 5,000 entries submitted to this particular – it was an open submission fortnight. You could send in your um, – send in your full-length sci-fi fantasy um, manuscript. Now, they found 15 first-time full-length novelists from from that particular process. So 15 out of 5,000 entries, but most of them were unagented unagented mm. and so it's definitely worth like if you're gonna if you're gonna hit a slush pile hit one that's actually waiting to see your stuff yeah absolutely i think that's the way forward but let's also mention too that alan and unwin has their friday pitch yeah. which is a submission process that they do every friday you send them one chapter via email once their submissions open and momentum the ebook um imprint also does um weekly submissions on Mondays. Great. Um, so have a look at what they're looking for and if you think that yours that your particular manuscript fits that, then you know, polish polish up your letter and do your best work and send it on in and see how you go. Yeah. Well something to do on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Well there you go. Like look at that. Three opportunities in one week. That's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. One thing I hear from people sometimes is when they say, you know, oh, look, it's too late for me. I'm so – I'm late in my career. I can't, you know, be a published author now. I've got something you've got to start when you're a lot younger. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I just think that you start writing when you've got something to say. That's mm. my theory on that. And lots of people will come to that later in life because sometimes, you know, life gets in the way and it takes a long time to actually get to the point where – you you feel like you've got something to talk about. Like I remember when we interviewed Michael Robotham a few weeks ago, he was saying that he um, he went and became a journalist because he didn't feel like he had any, he wanted to be a writer desperately, he wanted to write novels, but he didn't feel like he knew anything. He didn't feel like he had anything to talk about. So he went off and did all these other things and then started writing his novel. Now, I think it's worth noting that um, we ran a case study on the Writers' Centre website this week about Sarah Donovan and she's just published her first novel at 50 mm. and and that particular link was one of the most popular that we've shared on any form of our social media for a long time. And I'm pretty sure it's because there's a lot of people out there who see that as a sign of hope. Like yes. it's it's never too late. Like it's one of those things writing that you can always um, keep going, keep polishing and, and wait to see what happens. And I also noted with interest that Laura Ingalls Wilder, mm. who published I think her first um, 
Little House on the Prairie book when she was about 66, mm-hmm. so that's worth noting. But they're just about to publish her memoir, wow. um, which, uh, you know, I think it's the truth behind Little House on the Prairie and personally I think that that's probably something that uh, would be worth reading about. <laughs> yeah, so never too late. I, I agree. Never I think it's great when people, um, you know, just take the time to explore the world of writing because often if you've had a career and you've been so consumed by that, you haven't had the time uh but so yeah it's 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 a good um it's inspirational to hear stories so. like inspirational stories like that so let's move on to our writing craft book this week now i wanted to bring up this book because i have found it really useful and i think that um i hope that our listeners do as well and it's actually the fairfax media style guide now people might think oh how in the world would i get my hands on the fairfax media style guide i don't work for Fairfax as an employee. Well, you can just get it from Booktopia. You can just buy it from shops. You know, I bought mine in a Dimmicks or a bookstore or something. Oh, yeah. um, but we'll put the link uh, in uh, in the show notes. But you can d- just just uh, search for Fairfax Style Guide, Media Style Guide in Booktopia and you'll get it. And um, it's absolutely affordable, like $35 or something. And I think that if you are interested in writing for Fairfax, so um, whether that is for the Sydney Morning Herald or The Age or Essential Kids or daily life or any of those things, you may as well adhere to their style because the more you do, the more the editor is going to love you and the, the more that they're going to think, wow, this person provides camera-ready, wor- you know, words yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I encourage you to, to if you are looking to write for Fairfax, to, to get the style guide because it just also helps you figure out, you know, oh, should I put an and or an ah uh, or should I put the apostrophe here or there in this particular kind of instance? Yeah. You know, it's Fairfax will explain exactly what they want in their yeah. stories. Excellent. Yes, there you go. Love a good style guide. Yes. So much fun. So, moving on to the world of blogs, we've spoken about the Pro Blogger Conference, which um, was recently held on the Gold Coast, but uh, and that was for a, a, a conference for uh, bloggers from all different walks of life. And in Australia, we've had beauty bloggers conferences, and there's Eat Drink Blog, you know, for the foodies out there. Yep. But there's one which I'm surprised has not yet been in Australia, considering our culture, but it, it's been in America recently. It was held um, in August, and that is the Beer Bloggers Conference. Fantastic. <laughs> now, the Beer Bloggers Conference. Can you imagine conference. what a great event that would be? <laughs> yes. For me, I, I just think that sounds fantastic. I'd enjoy that. <laughs> it was held in San Diego, and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, but it had, you know, some cool, uh, you know, items on the agenda like Beer Blog Photography. Oh, <laughs> Beer blog videography. <laughs> but you know what, though? I think that's reasonable because I'd imagine that beer would not be that easy to photograph well, you know, to get that sort of really seductive, bubbly, foamy thing going. That that's they, right. I think that would be hard. I might have to have a look at that. <laughs> because you're going to take photos of beer a lot? Well, to be honest, I actually prefer to drink it than photograph it. But I'm a little bit like that with most things. I'm not someone who tends to photograph their food before they ah, eat yes. it. I'm not good like that. But I do note with great interest that the – uh, beer bloggers conference people list the um, they have a great list here of the different beer blogs that are yes. um, currently out there. They have over eight hundred active citizen beer blogs in North America and over six hundred citizen beer blogs throughout the world. Wow! So that's 
a lot of beer blogs and they design that they define a citizen beer blog as, which is actually not that easy to say quickly, I'd just like to point that out, um, as those not designed to promote a brewery or other business. So it's not a media-based blog, it's just right. Beer Lovers United. And, you know, I reckon Beer Lovers United would be a pretty good bunch of people. And clearly the conference is also a great excuse to get pissed because... Um, we have one to of taste the, them all. <laughs> one of the sessions is live beer blogging. And another session. Live is, yes. Can you imagine how messy that would get by the end? Well, oh. the other session is unofficial bottle share where you bring one six pack of your favourite beer to that Fantastic. session. Fantastic. So, do you actually drink beer, Val? Are you a beer drinker? I do in summer, you know, on a hot day, you know, right. I, I do enjoy a beer, but I don't yeah. sort of, it's not my first choice when I go to the pub. Right. Okay. Mm. I yeah. like a beer. Yeah. Well, you should go to the beer bloggers I should conference. probably turn my blog into a beer blog <laughs> and go to the conference next time. I think I would have an awesome time. So who is our writer in residence this week? Well, speaking of awesome times, I had a fantastic chat with Joanna Penn, who oh. is the brains and entrepreneurial spirit behind the Creative Pen, which is what often listed as one of the best um, websites now. It probably started as a blog, but it's a full grown, blown website now for writers, particularly those who are interested in self-publishing. Um, it is a massive resource and I would really strongly recommend that if you are interested in that area of publishing, you should definitely have a look at what Joanna is doing. And she has a terrific, if you sign up for her newsletter, she gives you one of the best resources for self-publishing that I've ever seen. It's like a 48-page how to how to promote your book, what you need to do to get it up there. Like it's, it's a great, great resource. So she's definitely worth having a look at. And we had a terrific talk about self-publishing, about being a you know, sort of an author, entrepreneur, about her fiction because she writes fiction under the pen name J.F. Penn and it's uh, she writes thrillers. So it was, yeah, it was a very inspirational and very, very interesting conversation. So I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Joanna Penn is an author, speaker and entrepreneur. Under the pen name J.F. Penn, good name for a pen name, her thrillers on the edge have topped the New York Times and USA Today bestseller lists, while her non-fiction books written under her own name are also bestsellers. She is in high demand as a speaker internationally and her website, The Creative Pen, is consistently voted as one of the best websites for authors on the internet. Her most recent novel, Delirium, the second book in the London Psychic series, um, came out earlier this year and she's currently researching the sixth book in the Arcane series. So hi, Johanna. <laughs> Hi, Alison. Thank you for that lovely intro. <laughs> well, thank you for fitting us in. I'm just reading that out and I'm exhausted. But um, So the first question I want to ask you is where did all this begin? Like you have this mammoth website with countless posts and podcasts and updates. You write nonfiction, you're writing novels, you have a high-profile speaking career. Where did it start? What were the first steps in this journey? Oh, well, it's, it's quite funny because, I mean, I was a business consultant for 13 years, so working in corporates, um, implementing accounts payable systems of all things. So I had this kind of uh, yeah, corporate career, um, cubicle slave type of person. Um, and when I was living in Australia, so I'm in London, obviously, as we're talking now, yes. but I was I was in Australia. Uh, so and, and of course, that's why I reached out to you. I was like, you know, I, I came to the Sydney Writers Festival. It must have been 2006. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I remember, and, and that's when I started to be, I was thinking about getting out of my day job. And, I, and I, I've started a number of businesses before. I had a scuba diving business in New Zealand. I did property investment in Australia. Uh, I tried things and failed so many times, mainly because I just, I just 
didn't find what I was passionate about. And when I, I so I decided to write my own book, which was um, How to Enjoy Your Job. And the reason, I, yeah, exactly. Well, the reason I wrote it was because I couldn't understand. You know, I had this supposedly amazing career. I, you know, I owned my own house. I, you know, I, I, I was a consultant. I was highly paid. I traveled. Why was I so miserable? Um, you know, this was just crazy. So I wrote the book in order to change my own life. Uh, and that was like back in 2006, 2007. Um, so I, I researched, you know, how do you do this uh, life change stuff? And, and what I, I really, as I went through the book myself, I realized that the main thing that has been consistent in my life is books. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids who didn't drag around teddies. I dragged around books from like a really young age. You know, I would carry a whole bag around when I was like three, you know. Um, so I once as I was writing that book, I started to learn about um, the publishing industry, started to learn, uh, discovered self-publishing. And then as I got into it, you know, I, I put that book out, made so many mistakes and started uh, finally started the blog, The Creative Pen, to share what I learned on my journey. And and then sort of fast forwarding, it took me three years of working part time of, of just learning every day uh, until I was able to give up my day job. And so I've, I've been a uh, full time author entrepreneur for nearly three years now. But like, as you say, it's, it's kind of, I, I always say it's about, it's like skiing. With skiing, you want to go down the hill, but you can't go in a straight line. You have to zigzag. And yeah. the only way you can um, change direction is by moving. So you have to keep moving and then you can change direction and change direction again so that that's how I've kind of ended up here but it's been a real uh you know windy journey so when you were starting out and you were writing your non-fiction and things like that did you always have the idea in your head that you would write fiction that that's where you wanted to be not at all. Um, I come from. I come from this. I went to Oxford University, and my mum was a uh, English literature teacher. So I've been raised with the idea that the only book worth writing is a Pulitzer Prize-winning literary fiction novel. <laughs> and and this, yeah, this put a massive block in my head um, over the years that uh, there was no point in me writing fiction because I can't write that kind of thing. And actually, what I like reading are fast-paced, kick-ass thrillers. And certainly, when I was working in my day job miserably commuting for an hour a day or whatever um I used to read thrillers all the time to escape my day job you know and at lunchtime and everything so when when what happened was I, I was doing my podcast um back in 2008 or oh no nine 2009 and uh, this guy really challenged me on it. We were talking about writer's blocks. And I said, oh, I don't have any blocks. And it turns out that this fiction ideal of the, the perfect literary novel was a real block for me. And he just challenged me on it. And so that year I did NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing uh, Month, yes, which, is, yes. which is November. And I came up with 20,000 words of um, the first novel, which became Pentecost 15 months later. Yeah. So... Yeah, and I went through so much then, and I've actually collected it all at thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel. And it's so painful to go through the posts. I did videos, the videos I'm living in Australia at the time, and I'm like, today I've learned about point of view. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's so funny now, but I'm so glad I did it because as embarrassing as those things are, it really shows you how much I had to learn. And we all have to learn if you want to go from writing nonfiction to writing fiction. It's, it is a whole new set of skills. Uh, yes. And I did the um, I did the how to write a novel in a year program at uh, Queensland Writers Centre. Oh yes, yeah. 
which was fantastic, really helped me get on with that, basically, and put a deadline on it. So I, and I know you guys do that at Sydney Writers' Centre and um, that type of thing. It's, it's just good to have people along the way. And do you sort of, um, I know from your Pinterest and other social media updates at the moment, you're researching your new novel, the sixth book in the Arcane series. Tell me a little bit about that process because it always looks so interesting. Like you really, that, that, that is something that you do extremely well is take your readers with you on the journey mm. of writing because you seem to do a bit of travel with these mm. books. I'm a li- Okay, I admit I'm actually just really jealous and I'm watching <laughs> from afar and I'm thinking now how do I get me some of that? So tell me how that works. So what do you, what do you, how much research are you doing for each book? Well, okay, so I am a research junkie and um, part of, okay, so I'll just take this as a bigger picture. So what happened is because I've done so many different jobs and tried to, you know, start different businesses, when it came down to, I yes, I want to change my career, my what I went back to was what do I want my life to look like? Right. So the point of designing a life was what are the biggest things for me? I love to learn, like learning new stuff is a massive thing. Uh, And I love to travel. I've always traveled a lot. I've lived all over the world. Um, I want to be a writer. Uh, So when I put all those things together, I want to be a speaker. So all of those things um, work really well as a a writer. You know, I want to be location independent. Um, So so what it means when I started to look at my fiction was, okay, and I, I invented the arcane um, the Arcane series, and Arcane is essentially a secret British agency that investigates supernatural mysteries around the world. <laughs> so I invented awesome. this, yeah, I invented this kind of hanger that I could put all of these different books under that relate to mysteries around the world. Um, and then what I do for my research is I pick uh, something, generally a place, like I'm sense of place is very important to my fiction. Um, so I pick a place that I'm interested in researching um, and I pick a topic. Uh, so this book, um, which the working title is Inquisition, uh, but it's going to be about Spain and Kabbalah and the Jewish expulsion in 1492 and um, it's going to have you know some really interesting stuff going on so I you know went to Spain did some research and then essentially I uh, I try and share things along the way so you mentioned Pinterest Pinterest is fantastic for book research Um, you know you can just surf the net and be pinning things and and I just share that regularly and people are like wow that's so interesting and so yeah, I think the aim for if you, and, and also the reason we one of the reasons we moved from Australia back to England was because I said I need to travel, you know, and it's oh, so yeah. much easier so much from easier. here. Yeah, I mean, popping to Spain is like an hour on a plane. <laughs> I'm not jealous at all. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, did you ever have any doubt that it was going to work? Like, as far as you know, you were saying that you had so much to learn. It took you, you know, you 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 started with NaNoWriMo. You had 15 months. Did you ever think? Um, I've written this book, will anyone ever read it? Well, that happened to me when I published uh, how, to, uh, how to Enjoy Your Job. So what happened was I finished that book. I, uh, I did send off one query email to a publisher, an agent, and uh, got back a, this isn't our type of book. And I just, I just went, you know what? I'm not into the, en- the energy of rejection and asking for permission. I'm somebody who doesn't ask for permission. I just get on with stuff. And I like the positive energy of creation and putting it out there. So that's all well and good. But of course, I put out how to how to enjoy your job and couldn't sell any uh, at all. Mm. I sold about 
200, even though I was on national TV in Australia, national newspapers, and I did all the right things, supposedly. Um, but that, that's when I started to learn that you need to have a platform, you need to build an audience. So when I, as I was writing Pentecost, part of what I was doing with that first novel, you know, stuff was building an audience. So what happened when Pentecost came out, finally, after, you know, and I had several editors and, you know, it was a really long process. Um, I had people who were ready to buy it because they'd been following the journey. Um, now, I, I, don't, I think I would probably do things differently now um, because the industry's changed. But this was kind of 2009 when um, the, kin the international Kindle had only just arrived in Australia. And you know the book in Australia, fiction is very expensive. And, you know, things were very different even just a few years ago. But so when I had Pentecost come out, that's when I, uh, you know, I, I had some people to buy it. And that's when I realized that I really enjoyed the process. So I think when people worry about, you know, how's this book going to do, uh, it's very common with the first couple of books. Um, what I find now after writing, um, so I've just finished the seventh, my seventh fiction book. Um, it's uh, my sort of 11th overall I feel like, okay, I just put it out in the world and it will find its audience over time. I don't do like a big launch spike anymore. I just, you know, the, there's a great quote from Krishna, which is, um, you have the, the right to your labor, not the fruit of your labor. Right. And I, I think about that every day. You know, if you don't enjoy what we do, which, you know, research, writing, you know, sharing what you love online and hoping people are interested then you wouldn't do this job um so that's i guess that's what i keep coming back to but yeah we all struggle with the mental attitude and and the book i recommend for people is turning pro by stephen pressfield okay. uh, fantastic book for kicking your kicking your ass when you're feeling low i also had a podcast with him quite recently and i said to him i actually was i've been struggling with this is self-censorship i said to him what do you do when you're afraid of what people will think of you mm. and he basically said you are dishonoring the muse if you're not being honest about your creativity you're dishonoring the muse and i was like whoa well, i do not want to dishonor the muse no, she may not turn up again if you do that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so you seem to write your novels like you, you you're obviously very uh motivated and very strict with your writing discipline because you write your novels quickly and regularly like you're getting them out there on a regular basis and i know that you do um fairly rigorous edits with them because you talk about that in your um, on your blog and various things. See, I'm actually stalking you, aren't I? Look at that. <laughs> no, please do. <laughs> um, but, you know, is there a secret to being able to be so productive? Like, you know, what is your writing routine? Oh, well, it's so funny, and I think this everyone's got their own opinion of what productive is. So Dean Wesley Smith, who um, I, I really recommend people look at what he's doing. He's, a, he's an old guy, you know, he must be in his 60s, maybe even his 70s. Um, and he's just done a series on his blog. He's written over 150 books, I think, and he's got on his um, blog a series which is um, writing in public. And for the last year, he's been putting his output every day and what he gets done every day on his blog. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. And to, he's written over a million words in the last year. He think he's written seven fiction and four nonfiction books or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not productive compared to these people. And, you know, so I think for me, th there's a sign on my wall which says, have you made art today? 
Um, so, for example, right now, today, I haven't uh, written, I actually haven't written anything yet. It's only midday, but I have published a book in Italian. So, as far as I'm concerned, I have actually put art out in the world today. So, yes. that's quite good. You win. Yeah. You've um, published in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is very cool, right? I'm like, yeah, that's really cool. It looks really nice, even though they're not my words anymore. But so, in terms of the, um, in terms of a production schedule, that's what I mean. When, when I say production schedule, people will go, ah, you know, what about art and whatever? But this is my business. I'm a, I am a businesswoman. This is my full-time income. Yeah. And I, uh, what I've tried to do as an introvert, uh, you know, is to make most of my time, you know, productive in a way that nurtures me as well, nurtures my energy. And for me, this research and writing stuff, I want to make 80% of my income from books and book you know audio books and all of that book related yeah. income so that's why I'm so driven and then really it's just a case of having a process so I've got two series and it makes it much easier to write faster if you have a series because you've got your characters you've got your world you know I know that I know what happens in an arcane book there is a mystery a supernatural mystery and we go around different places and we solve it uh, and I have my character you know so I, I know what's happening so it's much easier to write within that kind of structure and, and then with the sorry sorry continue yeah, they're saying with the non-fiction, it's, um, so the next book I have is uh, Business for Authors, How to Be an Author Entrepreneur. And for that, I be, I'm answering my own questions. So I start by just writing, you know, a massive table of contents and then I fill in the blanks. Um, right. And that's, you know, that's a very different process, but it's, you know, it has its own structure. So do you think you have to be entrepreneurial to self-publish the way that you do? I think you have to be entrepreneurial or at least learn how to be entrepreneurial in order to have a business yeah. as an author, regardless of how you're publishing these days. Publishers, I'm sure you know, you know, publishers want authors to be doing marketing. Um, you know, once you've had your month of them, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get a, pub, a publicist for a month. But then, you, you, you know, they're moving on to the next author. You, you are not, unless you're super, super, super famous, they're not going to be pimping your book. No. Uh, for the rest of your life, which is what we do if we're, you know, if we want to make a living for the rest of our life in, in this way. So, so I think what I've learned about this market, and I'm selling in 58 countries now, so everything I do is a, is, has a global focus. Um, you know, I make sure my books are available all over the world. I'm doing different languages now, um, doing lots of different formats, you know, selling direct on my website. I think by learning about all of this stuff, you can make a living out of it. But absolutely, there are lots of authors. And in fact, the vast majority of authors have a day job. Uh, and that's absolutely brilliant. There's, you know, there's no need to become a full-time author entrepreneur at all. But if people want to, you do have to learn about this stuff. And it's super fun. You know, if it's not fun, go do something else. <laughs> Well, I know that like the we, we talked earlier and the, the author platform is something that you're very um, vocal about and how important it is. One question I was wondering is with regards, you, you have two sites, you have the creative pen, you have jfpen.com. How do you, um, because you have nonfiction and you have fiction and the creative pen is very much a website about writing, how do you encourage your wide readership there to follow you across to your fiction site? Like, you know, is, is there a, how is how do you work with that like do you keep the two identities separate or do you merge them or how does it work 
it's very difficult and I say to people don't do it unless it's really necessary <laughs> and, of, and of course I did it in a reaction well basically coming back to that self-censorship I, I am these two people I'm this happy bubbly self-helpy kind of person and then I, I've also got a real shadow side and my books are very dark you know if mm-hmm. you like Stephen King and you like hanging out in graveyards you'll like my books but most actually it's about five percent of the creative pen audience um, have followed me into my face fiction so I mean and that's the reality for all of us so you're you know you're writing uh, kids books yes you know I'm not going to follow you into kids books no. you know that but but I might be a market for your books for authors yes. and and this so this is what we have to think is if things are very if your brands are very different then having two sites makes sense and my brands are very different so I do have two but what I also do the everything on the creative pen is I is about what I learn on this journey so naturally I talk about um you know how I'm doing stuff uh, along the way so oh I've made a book trailer this is how you make a book trailer oh and here is my book trailer (laughs) um you know and my launching a book in Italian which will be in a couple of weeks um I'll have a post on launching in Italian and oh by the way here's the book in Italian yeah so you can do it in a way that's the most important thing with this is focus on who are your or who are your target market and how can you be either useful or entertaining or inspirational for those people um, and I do in, information and inspiration at the creative pen and I do entertainment at JF pen so they're, they're quite they're quite different but I think if you just for me marketing is sharing what you love with people who are also you know into it too and want to hear about it so naturally you just end up sharing what you're doing um but if people don't have products for authors so if you don't have books for authors if you're not a speaker um if you don't if you're not selling something then i think do blogging for authors can be uh you know might not be so worthwhile as focusing on the target market for your books okay so the the secret then to building a great author platform is to understand who you're talking to absolutely and and and, or it can be about you as a person and attracting people to you as a person if i if i i mean because like i said i didn't know i was going to write fiction and it was about two and a half years after i started my website before i started that way um and and i had to start all over again at jf pen and i what i share on jf pen so i just posted yesterday i did a video um about my research for um desecration called how does the physical body define us in life and in death um, you know, my research and it's a video and also a slide share. So that's an example of content you can do on a fiction site. Uh, whereas my posts at the creative pen and my podcasts are more about helping authors. Okay. So if you were reduced to only promoting your books through one channel, because you do use a number of different channels, but if you were reduced, you could only do one, which one would you choose? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can't ask me that. I can't. Um, well, oh yeah, you just did. But no, it, but it, it's it's impossible to say because each I see each of these um, each of these things are a different way of reaching people. So I have videos, a podcast, and I do text stuff in order to reach a different market. So yes. if you only had one, you would only reach a certain market. Um, I mean, but at the, at the basis, I mean, we're writers, so it would be writing. Uh, if I if I was starting again with fiction, I would probably do a lot more output in fiction. So I I wouldn't even blog. I would just write short stories, or right. um, you know, I would write 
I would write lots of novellas and, you know, I, I would do what I, the big, the people earning the most money as self-publishers right now are incredibly prolific fiction authors. Yes. They are putting out a lot of fiction. They don't, you know, they don't necessarily blog or do anything else except write books. So the author platform is only, you know, necessary in terms of blogging and social and all of that. Um, it, if, if you are not somebody who's writing a book a month, which I'm not. <laughs> a book a month, yes, no, I'm not doing that either. So. <laughs> no, because, exactly. Well, you do hear a lot of authors, particularly um, I find established authors, who will say that social media and branding are a waste of time and you're better off simply writing the next book. Um, so in some instances you might agree with that as long as they were writing lots of books. I think you don't have a choice about brand. A brand is how people perceive you. Mm. So everything you put out in the world, every book you put out is a brand anyway. So um, you, you will get a brand. Um, there's no whether choice. you want one or um, not. Yeah, whether you want one or not. I mean, the reason JF Penn, you know, JF Penn is a different brand that, to Joanna Penn is that I was getting reviews that said, I had no idea Joanna Penn, you know, was so dark. And, you know, why does a woman write such violent things? Mm -hmm. You know, and I was like, I don't want people to judge me according to, you know, my gender or, um, you know, who they think I am as Joanna Penn. I want readers to just find my books and enjoy them for what they are so yeah and so you can see there that my brand as joanna pen the creative pen was impacting how people were reading my thrillers mm. hence i had to create another brand so that that really impacted me and you know there are if you think of an author think of a famous author you, things come to mind emotional resonance um you know what they do it happens anyway so um the other thing is about listening to advice from people in general <laughs> if you're going to listen to advice like me included don't listen to my advice if you don't want to end up with a career like mine yeah. uh, so yeah. you see what i mean yeah. if people want to be if if you want if people listening want to be a literary writer who wins literary prizes don't listen to me and don't listen to Hugh Howie or any of the big name, you know, yeah. authors. You've got to listen to the people whose careers are the way you want them to be. Yeah, the way, something that you want to emulate, basically. Yeah, and so many, what I find amongst the traditional publishing, and, and I do want to use the word snobbish, um, there is a lot of, you know, snobbery in Britain, Britain's terrible for it, uh, about what is what is worthy, what is a good book, um, and basically what ebooks have shown is that what is a good book is what people want to read, mm. uh, you know, and, and you can't judge that, you can only judge what you think is a good book, um, you know, that's how I see it anyway. Okay, well, just changing the subject slightly, you recently or earlier this year published a non-fiction title about public speaking for introverts, um, mm. which we recommended in an earlier episode of our podcast. And I was just wondering what drove you to write that book? Uh, well, I, I've done public speaking for quite a while now and um, I, you know, I really enjoy it, but it really tires me out. Mm. And I had never thought I was an introvert. I'm not shy. And I think shy, not shy and introversion, introversion extroversion are on different scales. Yeah. Um, so introvert to me is people who, um, you know, get energy by being alone. And being with people actually sucks a lot of energy. Um, so conferences and conventions, mm. parties, 
crowds in general are difficult for introverts. So I'm actually quite a chronic introvert. Um, so when I'm speaking, it's actually, I find it easier to speak than to be in the crowd yeah. because as a speaker, you're quite separate. So what, why I wrote the book was one, I read Susan Cain's Quiet, um, the, the power of being quiet in a loud world or something like that. I mean, it's yeah. an amazing book, highly recommend it. I read that book and also a friend of mine, I was at a conference and I said, uh, you know, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? And she said, you're an introvert. And it just struck me that, that I am. And, and as I, as I'm an author and, you know, people would ask me, well, how, you know, I, how do you speak? I could never do that. So I wanted to, to kind of um, get rid of the myth that to be a public speaker, you have to be this extroverted, uh, you know, Tony Robbins figure um, that actually you can bring your, your real self, you can bring your authenticity to public speaking um, and that will help. And I also think for authors, particularly, once you get noticed, you will be asked to speak. You will be asked to be on a panel at a conference. You'll be asked to come on a podcast. Uh, you know, you'll be asked to do lots of things that are outside your comfort zone. So you might as well learn <laughs> in advance. Getting early in practice. <laughs> yeah, because it's amazing. I'm sure you know. And I had it at the, like mentioning the Sydney Writers Festival. I remember one author who did a reading and I just went, you know what? I thought you were good before and now I think you're terrible. Oh. Because they just ruined their, you know, what I thought of them by their terrible way of coming across in, oh. in live in the live event you know they just couldn't they they, they read with a monotone um oh. they just weren't engaging at all so i think authors have to learn these things or you you will actually put people off and it, if you do a good live uh, you know performance as such uh, people are more likely to buy your book <laughs> and that's what it comes down to <laughs> yes it does <laughs> all right yeah, so well, you know yeah the, at the end of the day we want people to read our books to enjoy them and also to change people's lives i think you know that's why we want as well as to earn money <laughs> yes yes to pay the bills um all right so my last question then like just given all the things we've just talked about and and i just have this vision of what your days must look like how do you fit it all in do you sleep <laughs> ever? <laughs> yeah, I sleep a lot. I'm a real sleeper. I need at least eight hours. Um, no, I I have um, a file of facts, which is on my desk right now. So I'm I'm a massive scheduler. Uh, so I schedule everything um, all the time. So I and that's often six to eight months in advance. I'll be scheduling, you know, speaking events and books. You know, I do have a production plan. It's got about 12 books on at the moment that, you know, I'm planning out. So I, I just I'm really quite hardcore about treating this as my job, which it is now. Um, and again, creating art every day and focusing on the things that will get more products and more, um, you know, more creative stuff out in the world. Um, but yeah, so I schedule things. I, I also have um, an app on my phone called Office Time where I do a timesheet every day. Oh. So I, yeah, which is really good because it, it, I have a um, one time code for email and social media. And if that creeps up over an hour a day, I know I have to stop. So, you know, those are the things that will help me, that help me measure what I'm doing over time. Um, but I also, uh, the blog really helps. I put goals on the blog. I'm very accountable. 
I find, uh, you know, I have meet accountability meetings with people. Um, I, I'm covering quite a lot of this in this business for authors book, but but the idea of taking this seriously um, and, you know, like your day job, you don't, some days you have a real sick day, but most days, even if you don't feel like it, you go to work. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's more the thing it's like I love I love 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 what I do I, I'm so happy it's just crazy how happy I am with the way I'm living now after how miserable I was I used to cry every day you know I really did when I lived in Brisbane I was crying every day at work I hated I hated it and the, the changing my life this way has made such a difference so again I'm so passionate i I just, I don't want to be doing anything else. So I think that helps too. And if, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, write a different book <laughs> or, you know, um, find something, something else. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't, it shouldn't be that hard, you know? I mean, it is, it's difficult. It, I mean, it's one of these things. It's, it's simple, but it's not easy. I mean, yeah. it's just as hard for me to sit and actually write something, but uh, I love the finished process and I, I measure my life by what I create. So important fantastic and i love the fact that you have a philofax i just need to say that because i have one as well and i get la i get laughed at but i love i have to see it in front of me if i can't see it in front of me it didn't happen all right well, yeah me too. <laughs> thank you so much for your time today i really really appreciate you talking to us and we will put all the links to your various sites and other adventures in our show notes and um good luck with the research the very jealous making research for your new book Oh, thanks so much, Alison. It was great to come on the show. Okay, bye. That was a great chat, Al. Yeah, look, it's, you know, I really enjoy uh, talking to, you know, different people who approach the publishing industry differently. And I really love Joanna's attitude of she, you know, having sent out her initial manuscript, she just decided she wasn't the kind of person to wait for permission. And that's how she sort of sees traditional publishing is waiting for permission that everything's good to go. And uh, she's obviously, you know, she's very business-minded and very entrepreneurial. And I think that, you know, to, to be as successful as she has been in that area, it, it's worth bearing in mind that you do need to have, you know, a fair bit of that in you. Yes. If you're going to self-publish, you do need to be entrepreneurial, definitely. Yes, most definitely. So let's move on to our app pick for the week. Now, here is an app which I have yet to use, but I am so intrigued by it, I'm definitely going to get it. And it's called Draft. Now, mm -hmm. it's a free web app, and it lets you share a document or a folder of documents with other people. Now, that's important. You might think, oh, well, Dropbox can do that. But <laughs> this is different because it's for uh, people that you want to collaborate with on that document. So those people can edit and comment on your work, and you can preview their changes before deciding whether to, you know, um, accept them or not. So your original is never changed unless you do it for yourself. So it's a great thing if you've got work documents or you just want feedback on your manuscript from various readers, um, right. you know, it, instead of them just scribbling over – uh, lots of say you've got five people you want to get feedback on and get a, instead of getting five manuscripts back you can have the same thing that they can be commenting on you know on the same document so I think that that's you know really worthwhile and apparently it can also hook up with Scrivener that's one step that I also haven't done yet but okay. I'm going to try and master the first step first but the beauty is that you can um, a, 
apparently it can also help to transcribe audio and video and wow. um, you can through the app hire a person to proof your work for you so you know that's obviously one way that they're monetizing it but then mm. once you finish writing and you're happy with everyone's comments and all the all the all the rest of it you can publish it on a web page or twitter or tumblr oh, wordpress right. or whatever so very keen to try it out and if anyone else uh who's listening is trying it out please do let us know you know what your experience has been I think it's interesting that, you know, you choose to accept the change, in, in which case it automatically does it for you or you ignore it and it moves on, you know, like I think that's um, – because often what you end up with is comments and bits of sticky, you know, stuff all over the place in different colours and you're sitting there thinking, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. So I think that's um, – yeah, it looks like a good a good tool for people who are working on collaborative projects. So what is our working writer's tip this week? Okay, well, this is an interesting one and it's one that, again, like, you know, it's, it's like there's some kind of thing, something in the air out there on any given week and the same questions come up over and over again. Mm. And the question of the week this week <laughs> is d- around the area of disclosure. Right. And the idea is do I have to disclose if I, to an editor, if one of the experts or case studies that I interview for an article, obviously I'm talking about freelance writing here, feature article, um, do I have to disclose if one of the experts or case studies I interview in my article is a relative slash sibling slash auntie slash dad slash friend, whatever. So, you know, if I interview my brother-in-law because he's an expert in cats (laughs) because I know how much you like cats, um, do I need to tell the editor that said Mm brother-in-law is my brother-in-law? So what do you think about that, Val? Well, if in doubt, I always tell the editor and they can decide. In the vast majority of cases, they don't mind. I, mm. I think, though, if you're – it depends how close you are to them. A brother-in-law is a bit different than if you're interviewing your husband and you're showcasing mm-hmm. your husband and saying how wonderful your husband is. You know, mm. that, I, I wouldn't do then that. Then it becomes more PR. Yeah, I wouldn't do that where you're highlighting them and showcasing them and sort of saying how fantastic they are. But if mm. you're getting expert comment and they're not – I mean, they're not as close – I would think that that's okay, but if in doubt, I would still run it past the editor just to be 100% sure. What do you think? Okay, what I think, and this is something that I've learned the long and hard way over the years, is I avoid avoid interviewing anybody that I know. (laughs) Right. As much as possible. So it's to the point where like case studies is, are a slightly different thing in the sense that you'll often, it'll be a friend of a friend or whatever. Um, but I'm very, very careful about it because people, you have to remember that people will talk to you, um, particularly if you're a friend, and they'll often tell you more than they think that they're, than, that they're telling you That's because true. you are a friend. Yes. And so you have to be extremely careful with the information that you choose because if it goes into a national publication and they don't like it, it's, it's you that's going to be in the firing line for that. So I tend to avoid them for that reason. Also because from my years at Clio, people got sick to death of hearing <laughs> from me saying, I need someone who knows someone who knows someone. Um, so I learned, I learned a long time ago to branch a long way out with my case studies. When it comes to experts, there's always someone else. Yeah, true. There is always someone else and probably the someone else will be better. Yep. Now, when it comes to a fitness story, just because you know someone who's a personal trainer does not mean that that person is the right person to interview yep. for a particular story. And even if you get the idea for the story from talking to that person, unless you particularly want to, unless it's a local publication or you particularly want to give that person some some uh, exposure, you need to look for someone with national credibility. Yep. Like go to the association, get a spokesperson, look for someone who has, you know, some uh, academic 
credibility. Look for someone that is going to give your story some weight because you talking to your personal trainer from down the road is not necessarily the kind of weight that an editor is going to want for a story. So you need to think really, really carefully about who your expert interviews are going to be because the credibility of your story rests on those people. And the credibility of you. Of you, as that's what I mean, as, as a writer. of you as yeah. a writer. Yeah. So if if they think, oh, she's just interviewing her neighbour mm. because she doesn't know anybody, mm. um, you know, it makes you look fairly, I don't know, you know, like not, we'll put it this way, you can always do better. Yeah. So I, I suppose following on from that, I would say that unless your brother-in-law happens to be the only expert in Australia on cats, yes. <laughs> then get somebody else. Of course, you would not be. <laughs> but if he is the only expert in Australia okay. on that topic, still, yeah. I'd just run it past the editor and say, That's right. okay. you know, I've searched high and low. No one in Australia knows anything about cats except for No myself. one can give me the quote I need except this man. <laughs> That's right. Who happens to be married to my sister? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where are we? So um, that brings us almost to the end of our podcast. So what are you going to be doing over the next little while? Well, I'm getting closer and closer to the launch of the first book in the Mapmakers Chronicles series. So I am like lining up things. I've got interviews to do. Mm. I've got emotional stuff to organize. I'm doing a a launch at my local library with, you know, various people. And so, yeah, I'm just in the process of like thinking about all the things that need to be done to get, you know, to to give my little baby a good send off into the world. So, um, yeah, that's keeping me fairly busy at the moment. Wow, that's exciting. It is exciting. It's kind of nerve-wracking and it's quite funny. I ran into a a bookseller friend of mine today and he said to me, I'm reading your book. And I went, what? I nearly hyperventilated. I was like, what? You what? He goes, our people are going to read it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot about that bit when I wrote it. <laughs> Fortunately, he's loving it. So that was a good thing because that would have been remarkably awkward if he was not. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, what about you? What are you doing? Um, I'm hoping that the right side of my face, I, you know, will soon regain feeling. You've done very after well. After this talking ritual. <laughs> Through your pain. And um, I have a really weird week coming ahead. So it's very eclectic. It's very different as, you know, if that can happen when you're a writer. Uh, as, so, your, as your weeks are. Yes. Yeah, so this afternoon I'm interviewing one of the real housewives of Melbourne. <laughs> Are you beside yourself? <laughs> Are you a massive fan of that show? Oh, secretly, yes. But, you know. Uh, and then next week I'm speaking to a group of CEOs, so it's really quite a bizarre, you know, um, week coming up for me. So Wow. Yes. Oh, well, keep you busy. Keep, keep you off the streets. Yes, keep me on my toes. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our podcast. Where can we find you, Alison? You will find me at alisontate.com. And uh, you'll find me at valeriecoo.com. And you'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast. And please do leave us a review or a comment on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer or a topic to be covered, also do email us podcast at writerscentercomau Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>